This is David Wilson, and welcome to episode 24 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been, and probably where you never want to go. On Another Track is speaking with people we can't meet with face-to-face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. And this is why I call the podcast On Another Track, because I want to get people on another track. I want them to value self, plan it, figure it out, and follow your passions. I had no intentions of getting uh, interviewed today. Threw me into it, so I wasn't prepared. It, it takes a unique skill. Really pulled out like some really good information. You're right now up, like I have, I have like the top three interviews. That's the voice of Jeremy Kirkus from Jeremy Kirkus Consulting. He wants to make your business irresistible. I first got to hear about Jeremy through one of my colleagues at eLunch Club. I was totally blown away with Jeremy's passion, energy and perspective. He believes before we can help others, we must first work on ourselves. He sees tough challenges as a perspective. You have to go through the hardships in life that make those days that are great even greater. Listen as he recounts his wife leaving him, his mother dying and him losing his business all in the space of 10 days. His purpose? To make the world a better place, one dream, one job and one business at a time. I started first by asking Jeremy where he was based and how he got started the business. So I currently live in North Carolina. Um, yeah, it's, it's thanks COVID, you know, got us to, uh, to move out here. Okay. Uh, we left Los Angeles about a year ago. So just as COVID was happening, um, we just chose not to lock down. It wasn't going to be ideal for us. Um, so there were these cabins up yeah. in the mountain that we knew that we could rent, uh, which ended up, we ended up buying. So we're very grateful for that opportunity. And we've been here ever since. So super happy. We get wow. to hike every day. It's a lot of fun. So it's just been, it's a great experience. The reason that we kind of hitched up, we have a, a common friend or somebody that we, we've both met, a gentleman by the name of Remco Bergman. And he met with you on Lunch Club and thought you'd be an ideal candidate for the podcast series. And I must admit, having looked at your stuff on LinkedIn, I love the energy and I love what you're doing. So could you maybe just tell the listeners very briefly uh, about your business and how you got started? Sure. So very briefly, Jeremy Clerkis Consulting um, was born out of just a, a series of events. I actually I actually had another consulting company about, uh, I started in uh, 2008 and, um, and it lasted to about 2010. I was forced to shut that one down, but... I, and, I, and, I, and I swore to myself that I was never going to go into consulting ever again after that. But then you never say never. And, you know, just life events happened. Um, I know that you have in this, in this segment, you have like the more personal side of it. Mm-hmm. My business is personal. It's, it's the culmination of my story. So I will tie it into to that part. Yeah, um, what we basically do is that we help business professionals find more meaning and purpose in their lives. There are studies that prove that those who have meaning perform better at work. They bring all of themselves to work in, on, on a much deeper level, on a better level. So we help them find that meaning and purpose. So we help that business professional. And if they have a team, we help the team find meaning and purpose. And then the third component of the business is that 
uh, we create a more meaningful and purposeful organizational structure and culture and that whole feel overall. So we look at it from, a, like we like to call it a holistic view. Uh, we look at it from like the individual, we look at it from the team, and then we look at it from the entire business you know, as a whole. And that's a fantastic approach to taking business because often is not uh, a bit like doctors in the past. We, we dealt with the ailment, you know, what was the result of the illness and try to solve that. But what you're really doing is you're going back to the basics, aren't you? You're going right back to the soul almost of where the business comes from and why do you exist? What are you here for? What's your ultimate aim? Is that is that really where you're coming from? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, exactly how you said it, the way I view a business, and I come from a family of entrepreneurs. We've all been entrepreneurs all our lives. Um, I'm literally one of two in my family that's actually educated, that got an ed- a university education. And my university education is the psychology behind businesses. So the psychology of industrial and organizational psychology. So it's all the behaviors. It's all what makes up business in a sense. So the way I see it is that it first starts with a person who's trying to solve a problem. So he's a visionary or he's a whatever. Um, He's typically that business owner. He eventually builds his business and he now hires a team. Now that he has a team, he has a whole operation. He has a whole thing going on over there. So we do look at it from a step-by-step. We go first to, to the owner. Uh, then to the team and then to the overall organization. And that's very interesting because, you know, in the past, teams have evolved organically, haven't they? You know, traditionally, I think, you know, when you go back to probably the 70s, 60s, 70s and 80s, it was very much a hierarchy is very much, as they say, dead man's shoes. You know, you basically worked in the organization. You were a cog in that organization. And I suppose your expectations were different then, weren't they? What's really kind of changed these days? What's made it so difficult now for people to be happy in their work? Yeah, so definitely that has evolved over time. And so has leadership. Leadership has also evolved just to respond to that. We first, like, I won't give you the whole history lesson, but it started off with that hierarchy, you know, the boss, and then all the other cogs of the wheel, if you will. You know, think of it, you know, the Ford model. Uh, which was very much just different people along the lines of that, you know, um, what was it called? The like the production line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the production, yeah, production line. line. Yeah. Um, so wherever you were positioned in that production line, that was your job. Yeah. Um, and that's all you were expected to ever do. We definitely evolved. And so my approach is very much that the leader creates other leaders. The way I see things is that we all have a unique fingerprint to leave in this world. And so in my company, and I've, done, I've, I've helped other companies also see this, is let's say, for example, the graphic artist is so talented in graphic arts that they are the boss when it comes to graphics. They are the ones who know best. And this is actually a conversation I had with Remco before. Um, and he said that he found also that he was struggling with business professionals who, you know, oh, I'm the boss and I have to be the best and nobody could be better than me in anything. And I was like, no, I better hope that, that I'm hiring people that are better than me. Like, why else would I hire them? If I could do the job better, why am I hiring somebody to do a job that I will do better than them? Totally. I'm hiring the graphic artist. I'm hiring the video editor. I'm hiring the marketer. I'm hiring the whoever I'm hiring because I'm lousy at those positions. Yeah. You see, so that is what I believe a lot of people do struggle with. And there is this kind of like ego or jealousy, or I, I don't know exactly what it could be, but we do try to help them and say, listen, we're all here 
to accomplish a certain goal. Why are you in business? What's your mission? What, what, what are you trying to do here? What problem are you solving? And together with all of our uniquenesses as a combination, that if I'm unique in one thing, you're unique in another thing, that other person is unique in something else, all of our strengths come together to create this incredible company and we're going to solve the problem in the best kind of way. And why else wouldn't anybody want to do business with us? Exactly. Yeah. And what's interesting is I think because structure has changed in the workplace over the years where it was very rigid. And, and as human beings, I've said this before in my podcast, we actually adore structure as human beings. It gives us a reference point, doesn't it? Whether it's a physical structure or a mental structure. So working up through and achieving things was something that really fed the soul a little bit. Although you may not feel satisfied there was a potential to get somewhere, to work towards something and to feel as a sense of achievement. Do you think that's changed in the workplace now? Do you think that's kind of gone, evaporated a little bit? I, I, I think it's still I think it's still there. And I, and I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm the kind of person who lives on my on my calendar. Mm-hmm. I have lunch on my calendar. Like I need to, to schedule in time to speak to my wife. Like like I live on calendars. You know, I, I've, I've, I've scheduled time of when I exercise, when I, you know. Everything is scheduled in my calendar. I love structure. I, I don't do well without structure. Right. So, so structure is a phenomenal thing. It's a great thing. I'm a huge advocate of structure. And you're right. And I do love earning my positions. Let's call it that. You know, um, I do earn my stripes. I, I always self-develop myself. You know, I, I guess what sets me apart as a coach is that, or a consultant or whatever we like to call it, is that I work on myself first. And this is what I hope on on you know sharing with other other entrepreneurs and other business professionals, we have to work on ourselves first, and then and then we could sort of like help other people to kind of see what's the next step kind of thing. Uh, but if we're not open to working on ourselves, how do we expect other people to work on themselves? Yeah, totally. I think the structure is changing in a little bit. Is that? is that I'm always getting better at my job. I'm always getting better at my skill. And so it's a great thing to be, you know, a junior graphic artist and then a middle, you know, middle of the line graphic artist and then a senior graphic artist and then the manager of all the other graphic artists. And then, you know, it's a great thing. It's a sense of accomplishment, which is phenomenal. Yeah, but I definitely. believe that person is able to bring that specialty to it. Even that's that minimal, the, the little graphic artist or whatever, but at some point, they will become that that major one only through this empowerment. That's how I would see it. And, and it makes logical sense. But the, the, like you said, you did talk about the fear there and the hierarchy. And, and there's two areas to really tackle. Like I, I know you mentioned in one of your articles or even one of your um, videos, I think you did this week on LinkedIn, that 90% of employees were dissatisfied, you know, which is really shocking in many ways, isn't it? It's It's actually got worse, I almost feel. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, so I, I don't mean to correct you, but it's oh. the numbers are it's a Gallup it's a Gallup um, poll um, that has been actually consistent since 2014. We wow. find we find that only that about 67, close to 70 percent of employees are not fully engaged at work. They're not oh, yeah. performing well. 90 percent of employers are not satisfied with the employee's performance levels. Got you. Nine out of 10. Okay. So nine out of 10 employers are not happy. If you were to scale them, if you were to ask them on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you with the performance levels of your employees? All of them are under five. 
90% are under five. They will all rank their, their satisfaction level of one to five. And this is staggering numbers. And they haven't changed since 2014. In fact, June and July of 2020, we did see a massive spike that these numbers went down. Um, we've seen a spike in performance levels because employees are now at home. Uh, they're in the comfort of their own home. They could do more work. They're more engaged. Uh, they're not tired of, let's say, the, the travel to the work or whatever it is. Uh, so we did see a spike, but that only lasted for a couple of months. Then we saw a dip and it hit back down again and the numbers got worse. There's stress in the home. There's the family. There's you know the kids. There's the politics, there's the, there's the news, there's just so many things going on. So there was a little spike and then there was a dip back down again. Wow. So the numbers are not changing, unfortunately. Okay. And so this is a big problem that a lot of businesses are facing day to day. Okay. So if, if you dial the clock back then, what, what was happening before 2014? Because I think, I think you're on the money because I recognize something different in the workplace after 2014-15. What do you think was the, the shift that really made that change? Or was it gradual? Millennials got into the workforce. They were ah. now start getting into the workforce. Um, in 2018, they were more, they were more like in their twenties. So they're just starting, you know, their work, their work stuff. So it's the millennials that according to research, research is finding that millennials are more purpose driven. They need something to make more sense. They need more meaning in, you know, at work and stuff like that. And unfortunately, the business owners of that, that are, you know, in, in more corporation levels, they're there for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, they're from the old school way of thinking of like this cog in the wheel kind of thing, you know, and it's, it, there's just that, that disconnect. Although there has been a lot of improvement that, you know, the older generation is learning how to work with millennials. And then there's millennials who are now getting into the workforce as well. And they are becoming you know, business professionals. But the funny thing is, is that even the millennials are complaining that there's not that kind of performance level. So in my approach is that it's a case by case situation. So there's no real, you can't put the finger on the pulse exact. I don't have the answer why, because um, I've seen different situations in different cases. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And it's interesting. Do you think there's been not just a, a shift in say employers expectations but there's also been a shift in the you know millennials expectations because they come with a very high expectancy of like you say a purpose in life and as maybe baby boomers people like myself we don't understand that because you come to work and you do the best job you can you work for promotion you earn a little bit extra money and you keep your family with a roof over their head you know there's very basic things about being you know somebody as a baby boomer because it wasn't complicated but do you think things have become overtly complicated there's too much information and we're trying to be good at so many different things plus you throw you know being kind to the planet plus you throw in being kind to all the races being kind to all the sexes you know there's a lot of heavy weights around the millennials necks now isn't there yeah yeah and that's actually the, the so the way i i share my videos on linkedin and everything it's by series so i, I just take a topic and then i break it down because i don't want it to be super long uh, my videos are all about three to five minutes at the longest, you know. Um, I like to keep them short. So I cut, the, I cut them up into series. So right now we're in the series of values and what are core values, what are, you know, moral and ethical. You know, that, that's a huge thing right now in the news. And we hear this a lot. We're seeing a lot of companies doing something called virtue signaling, 
and that's a lot of questions that I'm getting. You know, what are your thoughts about these virtual signaling? As a millennial, I, I really, I do believe that there should be, you know, we should be good to the planet and we should be good to people. I think as humans that that's something that we should all strive for. We want a good planet to live in. I just feel that if virtues are not fundamental, like if they're not like based on something solid, if they don't have a good foundation, what are they based on? If like, it's great to have values. It's great to have, you know, this, 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 you know, ethical and moral direction, but if it's hurting somebody along the way, how's that a virtue and how's that moral? How's that ethical? So growing up as a kid, I was the kind of kid that loved making fun. I was very good at imitating. Um, I, I, I lost this talent now, but when I was a child, I had this really unique gift that I was able to imitate accents. So let's say I was able to do an accent imitating another accent. I love it. Which was so much fun. It was so cool. Yeah. So Friday night dinners at my house at my home was was basically a comedy skit. And my mom looks at me and I was making fun of a neighbor. And my mom was looking at me and she's like, is that right? Like you're making fun of another human being. You know, that's not so nice. And the lesson she taught me is that if everybody in the in this joke, if one person is not laughing, it's not funny. So everybody in the joke have to be laughing. As long as everybody in the joke is laughing, then it's funny. You're halfway through listening to On the Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week is Jeremy Kukas of Jeremy Kukas Consulting. Next, I want to ask Jeremy a little bit more about his personal life and also how his experiences in his past life have helped to set him up well for being a consultant with businesses. So, um, so I was born and raised in Montreal, Canada, actually. So not too far from you. <laughs> okay. A couple of provinces over. First of all, we grew up in a Jewish Orthodox community. And our community was very much all about reaching out to other people, people in need, being there to help them. Very, very based on being a, a good community member. Um, this is across the board to everybody, not just to Jews. And I mean, everybody. That was the way my culture as growing up as a child was. And I really took to that. I loved that. And I was always for, forefront and center. I was always volunteering. I was always in some kind of something. And my parents and my teachers, they saw this huge you know, love to what I was doing. They said, you know, you could actually have a profession helping people. Like that's a legitimate job. You could be helping people as you, know, as you grow up and whatever. So ever since growing up, I was always looking for ways of how I could connect my love to business and my love to helping people. So in 2008, there was that big crash that happened. And I was just leaving medical school because that was one of my other thoughts of, oh, maybe I'll be a doctor. I'll help people, you know. But I was leaving medical school because it wasn't for me. And I was going into business school. And I saw this huge crash. And I was like, okay, how could I help? And how could I be helpful? And that's when I started up my consulting company at that time, um, helping up people starting up businesses. And um, I found a niche and it was great and it was doing well. And 2000, by 2010, I grew this company up to about 20 employees or so. So it was a great, it was a great experience. It was really cool. Uh, but in 2010, at the time, my wife at the time leaves me and takes away the kids. Okay. My mom dies. Oh. The business is forced to shut down by the government. And wow. so all this happens in 10 days. Wow. Three major life events, you know, perhaps the three biggest life events. Yeah. But they all happen in succession of each other. 
very, very quickly in 10 days. How did you survive? Yeah. So I didn't actually, I fell into a major depression. It was very, very difficult. You know, do I save my marriage or do I spend time with my dying mother? Or I just didn't have the head to even think about the business, you know, Uh, just let it shut down, pay off the fines, you know, goodbye, good riddance kind of thing. Just take care of what was more important. Um, So that was a huge undertaking for me. And up to about 18 months of that, and up to a certain point where I was just collapsing under the pressure, totally came to my very, very end, you know. Um, and at the lowest of the low, I just look up to whoever's up there. At this point, you don't know who to believe and what to believe. Absolutely. And I'm just like, hey, you, whoever you are, you know, you made this, you fixed this. That's it. Like, I did not choose this life. You know, my whole life, I only wanted to help people. I only wanted to be a good, you know, community member. Of course, I want to make, you know, money and and help survive and, you know, provide for my family. But you're taking that away. You know, you took away my mom, who was my everything, you know, like you did this. There has to be some kind of bigger purpose. I don't know what it is. And you have to now show me the way. So, so when I'm really stressed in that kind of way, the way I, you know, calm down is I take a walk around the block. Excellent. Take a walk around the block, take some fresh air. And I bump into a friend of mine who I haven't seen in a while. And he lives in California and he works in the prison system and he's advocates for the prison. So I was like, wow, that's, that's interesting. That's meaningful. That's purposeful. And right now I just need any form of meaning and purpose in my life. So I asked him, I was like, is there any kind of volunteering opportunity or is there anything? He's like, yeah, sure. Um, so I end up volunteering in the prison system. I go to school. I become, I'm studying to become a psychologist. I was going through my own therapy. I was exploring mindfulness. I was exploring a whole bunch of different things. I was going back to my you know, Jewish roots, and I was learning a little bit more Kabbalah and stuff like that. Um, and I was just ex- taking from everything just to gain more meaning and more purpose in my life alongside with the purposeful work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so in the prison, um, I sort of came up with a program. So it, it, it started off as a chaplaincy position and it kind of built up into a guidance counselor position. And so I created a program that helps these inmates uh, find meaning and purpose in their life. So whether or not they're going to be staying in prison for the rest of their life, they still need to find some kind of meaning. So those who were leaving prison were finding meaning in their day-to-day life and they were becoming upstanding citizens. They really sort of shifted. Those who were in prison for the rest of their life also were shifting. And that to me was kind of like, wait a second, like one day I'm thinking to myself, as I told you before, all my family are business professionals. I was always around business professionals. You know, business is like practically my life. And I'm like, I've never seen anybody living the kind of life that these people who have nothing to live for are living. That, That was to me kind of crazy. And I, so I said to myself, I was like, I have to find something to help those other people who have everything to live for and who are actually really helping society. I mean, that's what business professionals do. So let me find something for them. Wow. So I said, does this program, this, this program called One Up, does this program work for business professionals? And so I reached out to my friends and I said, could I just try this out with your team, with your company, with your whatever? He said, yeah, sure. No problem. And they were seeing shifts in their companies, like major, major shifts. And that's when I decided to leave my, my, the, 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 I was doing, I was doing, um, I was going to become a marriage therapist. So my, my graduate degree was going to be the marriage therapy 
part of psychology. So I shifted that into the business side of psychology. Um, so the industrial psychology, got a master's in that. And that's when one of my friends said, hey, you know, you really should be a consultant. Like you do really well with that and you can really help so many people. Definitely. And so that's how I sort of shifted. And I left the prison actually three days before COVID happened. Oh my goodness. So oh. another one of those, <laughs> another <laughs> one of those, like when, when tragedy hits, you know, here I am to kind of like yeah. see if I could help or anything. <laughs> it's amazing what the kind of journey you just described. And thank you for being so honest about it because, you know, so many people are going through those types of challenges in their lives, but, you know, in attendee periods, you got hit with three things that would floor somebody for the rest of their life. I mean, the fact that you recovered from it, but what you did get was you kept communicating, you kept going out and make sure you spoke to friends. And from that little chink of the light at the end of the tunnel was there because your, your friend said, you know, he works for the prison service in California and you asked about some voluntary work. And I think a lot of people think, oh, voluntary work, I don't have the time to do it. But it's amazing how that leads to other avenues in your life, isn't it? I never thought that it was going to be that way. Like I never dreamed of ever becoming a coach or a consultant, you know. Incredible. I'll be honest with you. I thought I was going to become a marriage therapist, you know, earn six figures or so a year. And what my big dream was to get into real estate because that was my big dream. That's where the real money's at, right? Um, so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll be a, a business professional in that kind of way, make legitimate money and then take that money and invest in the real estate and, and you know, retire as a real estate investor. Yeah, that was literally the plan, you know, but then life kind of shifts, you know, um, I'm still involved in real estate. Like mm -hmm. a lot of my clients are real estate related. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, but I mean, I mean, we, you know, the finding the purpose, finding that meaning exactly like you said, um, sometimes just life puts things in front of you. And the question is, is how do you answer the call? You see, that is the message like that. Like I share the story really to share, like we all go through hardships and you know, a lot of people, I would say 2020 was my best year of my life. And the only reason why it was the best year of my life is because I knew how to respond to a hardship. And so a lot of people go through these hardships. The question is, is how do we answer the call of this hardship? A lot of people lost their jobs. Some people lost loved ones. You know, my heart goes out to them. Definitely. It's, it's difficult. The question is, is are you going to allow that to take you down? Or are you going to take that and add that into your, like, make that into a stepping stone? Take, take that tragedy, step on top of it, and, and look for something good that could come out of it. So how do you kind of go uh, into a business? What's the kind of, well, first things first, you said you've got to deal with the personalities first. So I imagine that's the first thing. And then deal with the business next. Is that correct? I believe, especially now with COVID, okay, um, what COVID did, there was a very, very big opportunity that came up with COVID. What it allowed us is that we are now more involved with technology. People from across the globe are now able to communicate, which is amazing. There's so much opportunity available to us. According to Forbes magazine, in 2020, about every 17 hours, another billionaire was created. Every 17 hours, that's 430-something billionaires were created in one year. It was crazy. And so there's all this amazing opportunity that's out there. The question is, is that just as much opportunity, there's also that amount of challenge that comes. So for example, a coach that reached out to me randomly said, wow, you look like you're killing it. You're doing so great. How are you doing it? So I said, what do you mean? Like, I'm just trying to help people. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, look, I have this niche and I'm different than all these other coaches, but 
That was pre-COVID. Now, all of a sudden, in COVID, I found three other coaches who are exactly like me, who do exactly what I do. How do I make myself different than they are? So I said, oh, just be irresistible. Love it. The answer is, is that the only reason why people are going to do business with you, whether you have education, whether you have skill, whether you have whatever, people want to be around that person who's irresistible. So irresistible is three things. The first thing is that everybody wants to be near the person who's happy. A happy person is irresistible. Nobody wants to be around the grouch, okay? And we all could use more happiness in these days. So anybody who's happy is just literally like, it just attracts. The second thing is attitude. If you have the right attitude, everybody wants to be near you. Nobody likes the pessimist. Nobody likes the person who sees doom and gloom. They want that good, you know, that fun, that, that optimistic, that things will be great. You know, that's attitude. Character is just this good character. Like you're inviting people, you're, you're loving, you're accepting, you know, all that. So those three accumulate to being irresistible. And only the irresistible companies are the ones who are going to make it in the future. Only the irresistible employees are going to be the ones who are going to keep their jobs. And only those irresistible entrepreneurs are going to be the successful people. Because COVID really, we're craving human connection now. You know, we've been locked down and we've been isolated for so long. The minute this is, you know, all these, these restrictions are going to be lifted, people are going to be like, like dogs on a, on a buffet or something. Like, like they're just going to want to jump on each other, you know? Um, so that's how you do it. That, that, so that's what I, my approach is. Um, work of happiness is my first step. One up, which talks about attitude and character. That's the next step. And then we have like a, like a CPO service, like a chief people officer kind of thing, where we look at the more professional business side of things, the, you know, the, um, the culture and the, and the structure. I love your approach. I really loved it. It was like a three-step program and that's so easy for people to grasp. But listen, if people want to get hold of you, Jeremy, how do they get hold of you? What's the best way? So right now, the best way is LinkedIn because the website is being reconstructed. So, I mean, you could still go on the website. It's still, the old website is still happening. Uh, but LinkedIn is the best way to get to me, Jeremy Kirkus on LinkedIn. And over there, you have all the access to all my articles, my videos. I post videos once a week, at least. I post a lot of information and I'm very open. I have this thing of like, text me and message me all day long, you know, my approach is information is free, time is money. Absolutely. If you just want information, I'll give you information all day long. Just, yeah. you know, I charge for my time. <laughs> that's all. Oh, that's that's fantastic. So if they want to get a hold of you by email, is there an easy email address for them to get a hold of you on? Yeah. So my name, so yearme at yearmekirkus.com. And if you can just spell that. Yeah. Yearme is Y-E-R-M-I. And then it's at uh, yearmekirkus, Y-E-R-M-I-K-U-R-K-U-S.com. Um, or LinkedIn again, LinkedIn, Yermi Kirkus, Y-E-R-M-I-K-U-R-K-U-S. I just got one quick question before you go and ask everybody this. If you were leaving school again, you're in grade 12 and you were just about to go into that wide world out there, what would you tell yourself now that you know all this information? Oh, wow. Um, there's, you know, things are going to be difficult, but remember that difficult only gives us perspective to what is good. So in other words, that, that how would I know if life is good if I don't know how, if life is not as good? So challenges are only really perspectives. Totally. We'll go through hardships in life. They're just meant to make the days that are great even greater. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. I mean, your perspective in life has been so 
enthralling and so interesting. And thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for this time and this privilege and the honor. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week was Jeremy Kirkus, helping your business become irresistible. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track with me, David Wilson, on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.